I really felt uh, impressed to the Lord to share about fathering, and I wanted to do it in, in such a way that it might offer some hope and offer some encouragement and, uh, and be a blessing to dads who might be um, suffering some anxiety, some challenges, some seeking direction to know what to do about one of your children. And um, uh, I just want to uh, see, see if God might use me in your behalf today. And uh, uh, I, just, I, I just really want to talk about fathering. You know, fathering is a calling. Fathering is a calling. It's a high calling. And um, uh, it's one of stewardship and one of serving. Uh, there's a, a wonderful commercial. Uh, it, it just came out the last couple of weeks, at least the first time I'd seen it. And it's from Chrysler Corporation. It's on their uh, town and country van. So here's this dad sitting in the driver's seat, and he's not touching the steering wheel. And, you know, these cars that are parking themselves. So this van is parking itself perfectly. And he's turned around talking to his son who's in a, in a, uh, a, a child's seat, in the back seat. And he's saying, um, I don't want my children to be affected by this entitlement mentality these days. I want them to learn to do everything and to earn everything for themselves without anything being handed to them. No free rides for my kids. Of course, the car is parking itself. And they're going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to make them tough. And he's sitting there, you know, with his arm on the back of the seat, and the car is parking itself. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite amusing. I wish I could have played it for you. Uh, I don't have those skills. <laughs> uh, let's read a scripture, too. Ephesians 6.4. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And again, Paul says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, fathers, you know, our sons and daughters, they're, they're just, we're, we're just stewards over them. Uh, uh, first and foremost, they're children of the Most High God. And uh, we, only, we only serve the Lord in, in temporarily shaping them and forming them into what God called them to be. We're, we're like nannies. We have the charge of the children to take care of the children, father, father's children. Hmm? And it's a great and awesome responsibility, uh, but one, of a very, very, one the father takes very seriously. And, and, you know, he loves his children, and he has entrusted them to us to care for them and to guide them and help them become all that he desires them to be. You see, in reality, we only have them for about 18 years, and then if they've been, fathered, if they've been parented properly, they'll go out on their own and strike out on their own. Um, and, and, and then we get to be kind of observers, you know, and available to them should they choose to make inquiry, to seek direction or anything of that nature. Uh, and they become self-determining. Now, at our age, Jay's and mine, uh, we have watched adolescents become older and older in our culture. Uh, children living at home dependent on their parents up to and beyond age 30. And it's... Uh, uh, it's a phenomena that's worth observing and noting because that can only, that's only possible if parents allow their children to stay at home so long. Um, I was observing, uh, you know, we pastored in Hawaii for eight years, and, and uh, 
actually housing there costs four times as much as it costs here. That's not an exaggeration, that's a fact. And children can't afford to buy their own homes, so they end up having to live at home or come to the mainland to live and work, but they just can't afford housing there. It's, it's, it's uh, incredibly expensive. And um, it, it, it changes the culture by virtue of the, you'll have, you'll have extended family, you'll have eight, ten people living in a home. It's not unusual at all. And, um, it's, and it's a, a big factor over there. Uh, people don't want their kids to move to the mainland, but what are the kids going to do, you know? Well, you know, fathering was established by the first couple here on the planet, Adam and Eve, and how did it turn out for them? How did they do? Well, you remember Cain and Abel in that story. Uh, and I'll go on and enumerate some others uh, uh, that didn't turn out quite so well. It was, um, you know, uh, Eli, uh, the high priest, um, and uh, in the days of Samuel, and his sons Hophni and Phinehas, you know, they, 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 they really disgraced the office of priest. And all three of them, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, died as a consequence uh, of, of the failure of those boys. Um, then, th then there uh, was Samuel himself who failed to raise his boys to be ready to take over at the, you know, when he became very aged and elderly. And uh, as a result, Israel ended up with a king because the people wanted to have a king like every, all the other nations around them, the heathen nations, and um, changed the direction of the, of the nation quite considerably. And how about Jacob who fathered his son Joseph? over all the other ten boys at that time. And they, um, uh, you know, they were so upset and angry about it, they tried to kill Joseph. Um, and then there's uh, David, his son Absalom, and then uh, the other uh, half-brother who, who uh, uh, raped his, his half-sister. And uh, Absalom tried to us usurp the throne, and David had to flee from him, you know. And Absalom was ultimately uh, killed. Um, Tragic, very tragic. And then, of course, there's Solomon, the son of David, who didn't prepare his son Rehoboam well. And when it came time for Rehoboam to, to take the throne, he handled it so badly, the nation split, and the ten tribes in the north went their own way and were never again reunited. Now, these are examples from Scripture, and there are others, I'm sure, but, but these are examples from Scripture where the Lord has, has enabled us to see the failures so that we might learn from them, possibly, and, and not repeat the same mistakes. Uh, uh, and, and, and yet, I want to emphasize that, that all the other fathers did their job reasonably well or extraordinarily well, and uh, that means multiplied tens of millions of fathers uh, over the years. And so, be encouraged. The, the norm is to do uh, a pretty good job, huh? and, um, and, and, and God can do that for us, help us do it. And you know, no one is experienced when they have their first child. No, no, no parent, no father has an instruction manual other than the Word of God uh, uh, to, to guide us and show us what we should do as parents. And it's, it's a, a, a huge challenge. Um, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but the Lord most certainly can direct us and show us uh, now, you know, I'm with Youth of the Mission. The, the acronym for Youth of the Mission is YWAM, the, the first letters. And in YWAM, the Father Heart of God is one of the basic fundamental teachings, uh, and it's, it's a huge neglected word in the church 
as we know it today. You hardly ever hear a teaching about the Father Heart of God, but it's very, very central to the uh, teachings in, um, in Youth of the Mission. Um, John 17, 22 and 23, let me read them for you. The glory that you have given me, now this is Jesus speaking to his Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, uh, there's another YWAM slogan to know God and to make him known, and it's also a part of the, the uh, logo for this church. Um, to know God and to make him known, the Father heart of God, to make known. Now, we assume intimacy with one another in marriage, but not so much with Father. But intimacy is a word that suggests just the most, most intense relationship. And the provision of Jesus' sacrifice so that we could know Father in our hearts and in our lives and let him manifest his life through us. That's what Jesus provided for us in his sacrifice. Now, why don't we enjoy this intimacy? Well, we neglect it. Just like in marriage, we can neglect our relationship with our spouse and, and it, it, it doesn't, doesn't go so well. But if we cultivate our relationship, it's very fruitful and, and, and so much joy and, and, and reward from that. Now, here's a scripture. You know how you read scriptures and, and sometimes it just, you just see them for the first time, even though you've probably read them maybe 50 times. You, you, all of a sudden, it just comes alive for you. And you wonder, oh, how come I didn't see that before? Well, this is one of those for me. Isaiah 9 and 6, and it's extremely familiar. And that's probably one of the problems. It's so familiar, we don't, you know, critically read it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, this is prophecy in the times of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was, came to the world, to the earth. Notice it said, the Prince of Peace everlasting father this is jesus we're talking about jesus and he's called everlasting father now here's an interesting phenomena all of us who are fathers were are or were sons that is to say we had fathers and we were sons and then we became fathers and our sons will become fathers so here's jesus being called the everlasting father because of his oneness with father god hmm? Oneness with Father God. They are one. One's a father, the son becomes a father, ultimately. And he's a father to us. And we become fathers, likewise, to our children. And it's, it's God's order of things. That we mature, that we reproduce, and that we father. And of course, Paul, you might recall, uh, referred to Timothy as his son in the Lord. He, it was fathered Timothy. Now, I've seen that abused over the years. I know that can be even cultish. And, and, but, but fathering is, is kind of a thing that's intense at first, but then becomes much less intense and much less involved and much less directive over time, if you do your job. If, if you make your children dependent on you, then you have really failed. What you're trying to do is make them independent. And to be available to them, you got their backs. You got their backs, right? I mean, we, uh, for my kids... I want them to know I've got their backs. They get in financial trouble. They get in, in any kind of legal trouble or anything, anything. 
I'm there for them. Whether it's moral or you name it, any kind of trouble, uh, I want, want to be one of the first phone calls they make. Uh, I want them to know that uh, I'm available to them for whatever I might be able to offer as assistance or guidance or counsel or, or, or even, even just prayer. And I don't mean just prayer. Uh, now, there's a universal nature to fatherhood uh, in, in, in mankind. Traditionally, all men are called to be fathers uh, via marriage and reproduction. Just, just like evangelism is a universal calling, and all of us are called to be evangelistic, winning people to Jesus, so is fatherhood. And so when I talk that way, I've gone to meddling. I mean, you know, people don't want to think in terms uh, of their responsibilities, but... But in our society today, we're getting really messed up. A lot of people don't want to get married, don't want to be bothered with kids. And that's the thing I want to bring through in the, today's teaching is hearing God and trusting God is the secret of fathering. That is the essence of fathering. That's why we don't, we don't, don't get an instruction manual. <laughs> I think that's why we, don't, we launch into fathering without any experience. All of us, every one of us are parenting. Now, when I was pastoring, people would ask Jay, who's here with us now, um, you know, uh, yeah, you see, we, we were raised in Pentecost, and, and traditionally, you know, the wife plays piano, she has the ladies' ministry, et cetera, et cetera, and, they, and when we were being, uh, um, I forget the word, but, you know, interviewed to pastor a church, they'd say, well, well, well what do you do? Do you play piano? And she'd say, no. Uh, well, do, do, do you teach the ladies? Do you have ladies' ministry experience? Said, no. Well, what is your calling? What is your ministry? And she'd say, my calling, with great confidence, she'd say, my calling is to be the mother to my children. And I admire her so much for that because she lived that calling. She exercised and practiced that calling and has the fruits to, to uh, show for giving her life for those children. And let it be said of us dads huh, that we acknowledge and recognize our calling to be fathers. It's not just a, you know, a, 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 an aside <laughs> to your career, to your money making, to your, to your ambitions. It's a high calling, possibly only second to that of being husband and spouse to, to your wife. Um, This past week, we saw a father who fought an alligator to save his son without giving a thought to his own safety, his own welfare, and, and, and God, God help him, he failed, and the boy died, two-year-old. But um, this is an extraordinary example for us this week, in, in, you know, with Father's Day, of, of how a father, you know, narcissism has no place in a father's heart. It's all about them. It's not about us. Hmm? It's about the kids, about the children. Now, you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to do a Donald Trump and do some bragging. Uh, the, rest of this, the rest of this is going to be somewhat of a, a testimony. It's going to be a testimony. And, and I want to make clear that I'm not saying this is the right way to raise children. I'm only saying it's the way God showed us to raise our children. And I give it as a testimony that it might be an encouragement to you. Or they might give you the, the impression, the idea that you too can ask God what you need to do for your individual child and their individual circumstance, their individual situation, and he will, he will guide you. He will speak to you. He will tell you. And he has your 
problem in his heart. He has your situation, your circumstance foremost, and he's ready, ready, wanting to intervene in your behalf and in your heart if you only ask. And that's what I want to impress on you today, the, 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 the incredible provision of Father God to enable us to be his surrogates in the earth and, 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 and father our kids, okay? Now, Jay and I will be married 58 years this year. And as, as uh, Brother Allen said, we have seven children and 17 grandchildren, and we had 23 foster children over the years. Our, one of our sons died in 2006 with cancer, and uh, uh, I was very, very young when we got married. I didn't, I was, I didn't know anything. <laughs> Thought I knew everything, but didn't know anything. Uh, <laughs> and um, I'm sure you find that hard to believe in me. But uh, <laughs> we, um, I, I, I recognized that I didn't have a clue how to raise children and, and become and help them become all that they could be. Uh, with their given gifts and talents. So I cried out to God and I asked him, well, what do we do? What do we do? And, and herein lies the key uh, to the seemingly impossible challenge of leading children in the way that they should go. Ask God for dry, divine direction on how to raise them and what to do for that child. And it's not the same for all children. You know, one of the mistakes I made as a young man was that I thought I should treat all my children the same. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Sounds about like some of the stuff we hear coming out of folks today, you know, about, uh, you know, things that aren't from God, but they sure sound reasonable. You know, you know, kinds of things I'm talking about. We hear them on the news all the time and from the candidates. Children are different. I have one child, uh, a little girl, and so sensitive, you could just speak to her, and she was crushed. Now, the other kids are so hard. I mean, you know... You, you need a two-before to give them an attitude adjustment, you know. <laughs> but you, you don't treat them all the same. You, you, you adjust the discipline, you adjust the, the, the way you speak to them and the manner according to their temperaments and their needs uh, and, 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 and everything else that's unique to them. Um, so asking God for divine direction is just huge. And this is what he said to me. He said... Have you ever noticed how Jewish children always become professionals, like lawyers, accountants, and I could name so many other professionals? He asked me, why do you think that is? I didn't have a clue. I didn't, I didn't have any idea why. Uh, and, 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 and he said, because it's expected of them in their culture. It's from the day they're born. It's, it's assumed that they will be a professional. And, and it's, it's just a done deal. Um, he said further, in order for children to have the proper coursework in high school to proceed to college in their field, they must determine their careers by age 16. And you understand that in, in high school curriculum, you've got to take the math, you've got to, or, you know, for that sort of thing like engineering, you've got to take the science for things like, like medicine and, and so forth. And if you don't have those things, it's, very, it's impossible to, uh, to get into university in that major unless you have that background. I remember as an example of this. <laughs> I had, I had uh, the highest math I took in college, and I'm completely inept in math, but I took uh, uh, algebra. And when I went to college, I tried to take trigonometry, and I never had trigonometry in high school. 
I didn't have any background at all in geometry or trigonometry. And, and I took, I took, uh, I, I tried to take it. And, and the professor said, if you promise never to take another math course, I'll give you a C instead of a D. <laughs> and I kept my promise. I never took another math course. <laughs> Except I had to take statistics and psychology, and I got a D. <laughs> I, I just, it just takes me a lot longer than it takes most people to get it <laughs> when it comes to math. So uh, they have to take... Uh, uh, and the Lord sh showed us that they had to uh, uh, start taking those courses by age 16 in high school to be ready for what it was that they were uh, chosen as their career. Now, so we required our children to choose their careers by age 16. And if they didn't choose, if they couldn't choose, we chose for them something that was suitable for their uh, gifts, their talents, their abilities, and that wouldn't have been math for me. Uh, uh, and, and they would then take the appropriate coursework uh, from that point forward. It had to be a career choice that would challenge their gifts and talents and capabilities. Now, as a consequence, uh, our children, uh, one, one is a dentist, um, uh, one is an office administrator in one of the major ministries up in Fort Worth, uh, and uh, one's a veterinarian, one's a nurse, one was a YWAMer, and that's Bob, who died, a missionary. Uh, one's a mechanical engineer, and he actually makes his living as a pilot. He chooses that, and uh, uh, the youngest one's a lawyer. Now, our oldest is 57, and our youngest is uh, 38. Now, I warned you I was going to brag, so bear with me. Um, but as you can see, it was all God's doing. Uh, we simply asked and obeyed with his ongoing direction over all these years. That's the key. That's the key. It's not expertise. It's not how great you are. It's how great Father God is. Are you with me? Can you agree with me? I mean, it's not luck. <laughs> it's divine direction. It's, it's, it's acknowledging our complete inadequacy, as I did when I was such a young fella, and said, Lord, help. Lord, help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't know... What, which discipline to choose, which, what direction to go. Because all of us who are parents know that there are situations that we're confronted with with our children. We, we don't really, we don't have an answer. We don't know which way to jump. We're, 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 I said clueless, and it's true. And, and, and we just kind of fumble through it when we could be asking God, and getting a very clear word and boldly proceeding as he gives us direction, with grace, of course, but with, with clarity, with clarity. Um, one, of my, one of my son's friends is an employer, and, and he has several, you know, has a large business, and he, he, he wants his children to have his, his gifts and his money-making ability and so forth, and he, he's taught all his kids to be employers to the degree that his very young son, pre-puberty, he's taught him to, to hire people to do his paper routes and to pay them a salary. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, it's amazing how much influence that a father can have on his children, uh, for instance. I give you that as an illustration. And good parents give their, their children choi chores so that they can develop a good 
a good work ethic. Uh, you know, um, uh, we've noticed that people of means tend not to give their children uh, chores uh, because they, they just, you know, they have the money to pay people to do things, have yard work and have it all done and so forth. And in India, all the people of means have servants. That they carry on just like the British did. And the missionaries too, I'm sad to say. Um, well, I should have to, have to adjust that. Missionaries have servants. I mean, they have drivers, they have cooks, they have nannies, they have housekeepers, whatcha, 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 whatcha. I don't, but most missionaries do, all the missionaries I know. And, and, and they justify it, and, and very reasonably, they say, we provide jobs for people that way. We're able to give them a very nice, generous salary, and uh, uh, they, otherwise they wouldn't possibly have work. And, and that, that's a reasonable argument. I can't be unduly critical or judgmental about that, but um, I just never have been real comfortable with it. I mean, you know, I have an interpreter who also serves as a driver, and that's all, that's it right there. That's all she wrote. Um, so we gave our children chores. And, and, you know, I didn't learn how to love work until I was in my 40s. Uh, I, we were planting a church up in Washington State, and I, was, I worked as an industrial roofer for a Christian firm. And they taught me how to love work. And, I mean, we just had a ball, and we ran on those roofs. We would work. I mean, I was in my 40s, and, and, and uh, we worked all up and down the West Coast and uh, uh, put roofs on Sears stores and Yuma and Las Vegas and... and 140 on the roof, and, and, and we were just flat out. You know, I, we loved it, and and I praise God for that because I was able to impart it to me. It was in time that I was able to impart it to my children. As a matter of fact, one of my fun, uh, sons uh, said to me recently, uh, "You would love this outfit because they just their guys really love to work. They really love to work, and I appreciate him complimenting me that I, uh, that he saw that in me." And I taught my boys to do everything, my girls too, everything that I knew how to do, whether it was fixing cars or carpentry or fishing or, or, or praying, uh, you name it. I tried to teach my kids everything, every skill that the Lord had, had blessed me with. And, uh, you know, I, I had one child who would much rather play video games than, than uh, come and watch me work. But I would make him come outside and come and watch me. And now he's very grateful. He's a, he's a well-paid professional. But he does a lot of his own work on his car and stuff because of, all the boys do. Um, you know, my grandfather paid his kids to do chores. And, and as a consequence, his daughter and his son, and two children, learned to love money and expected to be paid for anything that they did. And see, there's direct consequences to how we... We proceed with our kids. And um, uh, I'll just tell on Jay here now. Uh, we planned our children, the birth order of our children, in that we'd have two two years apart and then wait six years, and then had two more two years apart and waited six years, and two more two years apart. So we really had three families. And the, the, the idea of that was so that the older ones could help raise the younger ones. That was Jay's plan, and it worked very well. We ended up having a boy and a girl, two girls, and then two boys. So we really did have three families, and, and uh, a great joy to us. Now, it, it won't kill kids to do chores. <laughs> uh, it won't hurt them. 
it, it's, um, it, it's, it's, uh, sometimes it's easier just to do it yourself, you know what I mean? Now, we've all said that, haven't we? You know, it's just, sometimes it's easier to do it myself. And, and it's true, but that doesn't help the kid. <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't form them and help them to learn how to do those things. Um, and, and, and what's more is we can, we, can, we can see attitudes in our children around work. You know, I always used to say that I never knew anyone really until I worked with them. Did you, ever, did you ever think of that or hear that? I mean, you don't really get to know people in church. No, no, no. Not like you do if you work with them. Huh? If you work with them, you see people's hearts just right quick. You know, whether they have a servant's heart, whether or not they have a good work ethic, whether or not they're hard workers or they're lazy, etc., etc., etc. Hmm? You know? Uh, I, 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 uh, I learned... When I told you I learned how to love work, I, I, I was impressed that my job was to make money for the company. That's what I wanted to do, was to make as much money as I could for the company. And it wasn't about me and my pay, it was about them. I was serving them, they were paying me to make them money, and that's what I wanted to do. And any time I didn't do that, I, I ended up being a supervisor, and, and, and uh, uh, when a job just broke even or something, it broke my heart. You know, I felt like a complete failure because my job was to make them money. When you have your own company, you, then you can focus on, on you know, you, making your own money from the job. Now, I want to remind you that great, great parents still have children who are rebellious, not serving the Lord, and are in trouble and this kind of thing, and living a life of sin. But let me read you a scripture. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that scripture does not guarantee what will happen during adolescence. <laughs> you know, uh, Jay, Jay and I used to joke with each other and say, it's too bad you can't just lock up a child when they're 18 and turn them loose when they're 23. It'd be so much easier, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't have to deal with that time of rebellion and independence. Uh, but remember, remember what I said about adolescence becoming later and later, and it can go on kind of indefinitely. I mean, um, I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos last night, and the host there, I don't think it was on the teleprompter, I think he, I think he just came out, he said, uh, he said I, I, have, I suffer from arrested adolescence. He was clowning around, you know, and um, uh, uh, that, that's a new term for me, arrested adolescence, meaning... You never get over it, you know. Uh, Jay said to me once when we were in Marston State pastoring, he said, um, um, how did your dad, he was about 65 then, he was visiting, and she said, how did your dad get to be so old and still so immature? And, and she was serious as a heart attack. And, and it was really quite accurate. My dad <laughs> was rather immature. The irony of it was, we were talking about this just yesterday, the day before, that that uh, musicians and artists are very temperamental. My father was a professional musician, and he was very temperamental and could be very immature and, you, you know, just explode. Another thing, talking about work ethics, my dad was fascinating. It's, I've never known anyone quite like him. Uh, he was a celloist, and, and as, a, as a musician, he required exact precision and perfection. I mean... He had a student. He was, he, 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 he was in the Marine Corps band. You have to play... To at least two instruments to be in the Marine Corps band. He was a military man, musician in the military. He had a, a, a student who's now a pastor, many, many years a pastor. But 
he was teaching him trumpet, and he wasn't getting it right, and he locked them in his basement until he got it right. He was a student. <laughs> that was my father. <laughs> but about everything else, everything else, my father prided himself in doing it halfway. He prided himself in it. Everything else was half. We lived on the water on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. And, and, and we fished, and, and that, that dad supplemented his military income by fishing and oystering and crabbing. And, and I was an adult, and he was elderly, and at least 80, I think, sitting in a lawn chair, and I was pressure washing crab pots, you know, crab traps in the salt water. You know, they get all fouled with, with algae and stuff. I was pressure washing it, and it was about half done. He said, that's enough. And I ignored him. I mean, it wasn't good enough for me, and I kept pressure washing and he got up out of that chair, and he was very elderly, and, you know, didn't, it was hard for him. He got up and went over and unplugged the pressure washer, keep me from going any further. He just prided himself in doing things halfway, and he did everything that way except music. I've never known anyone like that for a work ethic, but he was an absolute perfectionist when it came to music and wouldn't tolerate anything less than perfection. One of my sons is a pilot, and he flies that way. I was telling Greg about this. He is a precision pilot. And when he was in the Marine Corps as a pilot, he was the safety officer and drove all the pilots nuts. I mean, everything had to be absolutely perfect. And when you fly, that's, that's the kind of pilot I want. <laughs> when I'm in an airline liner, I mean, he did everything exact as it should be. Everything, every, every, uh, every maneuver, every, every, every uh, approach and all that kind of thing. Okay, now, here's Deuteronomy 11, 18, 19. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That, that's, a, that's a very strong mandate to us, isn't it? As parents, as fathers, hmm? to, to pass the word along. Pass the ways of God along, the love of God along to our children continuously, without ending. It, it never gets done, endlessly. I have a dear friend that I work with in, in India, a middle-aged guy. His name's Bhaskar. And, and uh, I hadn't, I've been working in India for 30 years, but I, I never noticed, I never paid attention that all the universities that you see are either engineering universities or business administration universities. I saw one this last year that was a teaching college, teacher's college. Uh, every, I asked about Scar, I said, why is it that so many kids major in engineering and, and uh, uh, business administration uh, and, and so many more just stay at home, live at home, live with their parents? And he had one word, lazy. And that was his take on his own culture. They're just lazy. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, is they couldn't live at home doing nothing unless their parents let them do so. That's, that's a key there. That's, that's something very significant. We told our children, you may think this is harsh, but I'm, gonna, I'm sharing my testimony with you. We told our children that they could live at home free as long as they went to school. When they stopped going to school, they had to start paying room and board, which meant, of course, they had to get a job, and before they do that, they'd probably move out and get their own apartment. That was our, the hidden meaning. That was the code, 
code for that. Go out and get your own place. <laughs> uh, but none of them ever quit school, and they all got all the university training that they wanted. Um, three of them have doctorate degrees, and, and um, all of them got everything that they wanted. Now, here's the miracle associated with that. The reason why I'm telling you that is that we couldn't help any of them with their university expenses, with the financials for their university training. And, and, and you know what it costs. But God, in his miraculous provision, did incredible miracles to provide for them to, uh, to, to get all the university training they wanted. Uh, I was in, in the early service. It came to my mind some of the more extreme ones. Oh, my son, one of my sons went to Prairie View A&M down in Houston, which is a black university, and he got a scholarship as a white boy. <laughs> Minority scholarship. He didn't care, you know. <laughs> he was raised in Hawaii around all kinds of races and mixes, and he didn't care. Uh, and, and my daughter, who's a veterinarian, uh, went to Kansas State University, and um, uh, she got a scholarship as the most needy veterinary medicine student the most needy. <laughs> Fine with us, you know. <laughs> Fine with her. You know, just write the check. <laughs> and, uh, now, that's, here's the miracle of God, see. He did all that because we just obeyed him. And it was kind of, we believe, an endorsement of the children's upbringing that he provided all that we couldn't provide. Do you believe that? I mean, we do. I mean, that's our testimony. That's what I want you to see is God's miraculous provision when you rely on him and walk in his ways and according to his word. Uh, we've lived on faith ever since 1968. That's when we got our last paycheck. And even, even now, we take no personal income from Ripe Harvest Ministries. Our ministry, uh, it all goes to the work. Now, here's a quote that I wanted to share with you that doesn't apply directly just to fathering but I think that it, it has a tremendous application to it. And I don't know the source. It goes, successful people build each other up. They motivate, inspire, and push each other. Push each other. Unsuccessful people just hate, blame, and complain. You know, heap of truth in that, isn't there? Hmm? But the answer, saints, is in seeking God's divine direction and then obeying no matter how adverse it is in today's culture. And I want to emphasize that. The things God directs you to do may be very alien to the society as we know it today. Because our society is getting really messed up. And that you'll suffer some persecution and some criticism if you do as God directs you to do. But if you'll be faithful and have faith to know that what he said is right and true and, 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 and correct, hmm? and stick with it, the Lord will reward you. Can you do that? I mean, I believe that we can. And I trust we will choose to do so. You're not a victim with no options in your child rearing. You have a choice. And you do have the keys to the kingdom and the word and in your relationship with the Lord. I want to encourage you today. Let's pray. 
Lord, we do thank you for the examples of Scripture and even the failures of our forerunners, our fathers, that we can uh, uh, possibly avoid and learn from their mistakes. God help us. And we thank you, Lord, about the sacrifice of Jesus that we can hear from you, Father, and commune with you, Father, and get direction. And you can manifest your life through us in Jesus, in our hearts. And I ask you, Lord, to do so. And for us to to trust you for that, no matter our circumstance, no matter our situation. Now, if you just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just a little private moment. If, if you've gotten something from the Word today that, that you needed and that you, you feel like God really wanted you to hear, I'd just like you to acknowledge to the Lord that you did get it. And if you just raise your hand, I heard you, Lord, I got it. Okay, amen, amen. You just put it right back down, right back down. Yeah. Okay, now I want to pray for you, specifically. Lord, you've seen these humble hearts. You've seen these ones who, who feel like they've gotten something from you today, from your word, from these words, from, from the examples given. Father, now let it be walked out. Help us in our faith. Help us in our walk. Help us in our trusting you and obeying you. Give us people to encourage us. Give us people to, to pray for us and to pray with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the family of God. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who did it all. And thank you, Father, for your fatherly love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.